Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all tonight. Thank you for praying for us as we were at Emmitsburg, Iowa. You know, way up north. Hour from Minnesota. It's cold up there. It's cold down here for a while, too, wasn't it? But thank you for praying for us. We had a great, great time. The people, there's a lot of life in that church. You can really sense that. Uh, one of the things pretty exciting there is they've had four Methodists come over, four, four Methodist women come over to the church. And, I mean, they're pretty much brand new. It was like the first time for one of them, the second time for another one. One of the other ones just kind of settled in. But you know what their whole thing was? Their whole thing was, we believe the Bible is inspired, infallible Word of God. And we're having a problem over here because of that. <laughs> so, I mean, they're all about the Bible. This is, this is their, their, their criteria. They're judging everything. But does the Bible say this? Is this what the Bible says? Well, Amen. I thought you were supposed to be in uh, Nashville. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to see you here tonight. Yeah, okay. Yes, it is. It's good. You can stay for as long as you want. Anyway, uh, we are in Second Thessalonians. Thank you for praying for me, by the way. And I'm tr- I trust everything went well with Vince preaching, Albert preaching, Sunday as well here. So, yeah. Uh, thanks, guys, for filling in. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3 tonight, we'll look at verses 6 through 12, uh, dealing with the disorderly is what I've titled the message. Let's go ahead and uh, ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word here. Uh, Lord, again, we thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the privilege to know you, uh, to know uh, the truth of the Word of God, which is living and powerful, uh, able to work in our hearts. So, Lord, encourage our hearts as we consider what the Word of God has to say tonight. And, uh, Lord, just principles to live by as your people and even in our, in our work, uh, kind of the mundane uh, routine of life, it matters uh, to you. And so, Lord, uh, minister to our hearts as we study together. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, on the outline, uh, you note we have worked our way down through the book, and we have uh, come to uh, chapter 3, Commandments Regarding Those Who Are Disorderly and Lazy. That's where we are tonight. You might want to leave at this moment if you fit into that category. It's going to be pretty convicting here. Uh, so uh, we note uh, the book starts out really with a lot of correction regarding uh, the day of the Lord. Uh, some of the folks were thinking they were in the day of the Lord. There's uh, false teachers on the scene who are evidently emphasizing because of the persecution, we're in the day of the Lord. Paul says, no, two things have to be in place before we're in the day of the Lord. Number one, there has to be the falling away or literally the departure We can debate what that is, but it has to be. Uh, It's the word apostasia, which can refer to a physical departure, can refer to a spiritual departure, a defection from the faith. The Bible uses it both ways. I happen to think that the rapture departure is is in view there. It has to take place first, and and then the day of the Lord comes. Uh, And he says, and the man of sin must be revealed. The man of sin is revealed when he signs a seven-year covenant uh, with Israel. When the Antichrist signs a seven-year covenant with it, that's how he's first uh, revealed. So anyway, those have to be in place. So he says, we're not in the day of the Lord. We're still here. And, uh, you know, the man of sin has not been revealed yet at this point. Of course, uh, really, more literally, the man of lawlessness. And we see that man of lawlessness, uh, he, he really reaches the apex of lawlessness. When he goes into the temple, declares himself to be God, has no regard for any of the, the law of God here whatsoever. Well, then, uh, as we get through chapter 2, he ends by um, saying he's praying for them, that they would be established, 
that God would comfort them. He also asked prayer that the Word of God would continue to have free course uh, through his ministry as he begins chapter 3 there, uh, that it may run swiftly and uh, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, there's no promise that that will happen as often he is uh, delivered to uh, wicked men, but then God delivers him from that. Uh, Again and again, we see this pattern in his life. But you know, you have not because you ask not, right? Uh, Certainly good to ask that you be delivered uh, from wicked men and so forth. Well, uh, we have worked our way down um, to verse 6. Let's have somebody read uh, chapter 3 and verse 6. Who wants to read that for us tonight? Yeah, Albert. Pretty interesting verse here. Um, We command you, brethren, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. Um, Family problem here. Earlier he had touched on this, as we even see in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, in the first epistle. Um, Whoops. There we go. Uh, He said there that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Uh, he might be able to point that out once in a while to somebody. But anyway, uh, mind your own business to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you walk properly towards those that are outside. Concerned about being a good testimony. This relates to being a good testimony. That you may lack nothing. So he's saying, you know, really, uh, don't be busybodies is really what he was saying there. And now he's following up by saying, uh, emphasizing this same uh, emphasis uh, in reality here. Uh, Notice uh, it's not a suggestion. Uh, He says, now we command you. Uh, I think he's getting stronger as he goes along. The emphasis on command is very strong all the way through here. We command you. Uh, It's a direct order. It's often used in a military context where a a general would give an order. Uh, so, So it's the idea of a very direct order. And there's a tremendous amount of space given to this, as we note, Uh, The space given to addressing this problem in this epistle is second only to the doctrinal error concerning the day of the Lord as seen in chapter 2. This was serious. The spiritual uh, welfare and harmony of this young church was at stake. So this is a pretty big deal. It's not like, well, some of you could, you know, use a little kick in the pants here. Uh, No, he's he's really emphasizing this in a very strong way in terms of a command. We command you, brethren. Again, it's a family matter. This is an in house matter amongst the brethren. Uh, really, there is family accountability. Somebody says, well, I can just do whatever I want. No, there is family accountability within the, the family of God. Uh, note, he says, brethren, uh, we often see uh, with Paul this balance, what I call balance. Paul uses just the right balance of encouragement and confrontation. Church disciplinary matters are always difficult. Very few people like to confront you know, I, I have a little concern about something. I just, I just like to pounce on people. My giftedness is pouncing. <laughs> uh, the, not a good gift, I don't think. Uh, so very few people like to confront, and those who do are not, often not wise in how they go about it. To hit just the right balance is a great challenge. Uh, Paul started out relatively soft, but then he got more firm, and yet he remained brotherly throughout. And, you know, that's, that's how you kind of do discipline, right? I mean, you don't start out with uh, 
disfellowshipping people. I mean, there's a whole process before you get to that point. Uh, You're patient with people. You're working with people. Uh, We command you, uh, brethren, uh, love does hold people accountable. You don't care about people. You just, there's no accountability. Uh, there is uh, there is love. If, if discipline is proper, it is it is governed by love. And so, um, note we want to love people, but we also need to insist that we're a holy family. Church discipline uh, is to be carried out for two essential reasons. Number one is to be motivated by love, and love is corrective for the sake of the beloved. Um, fathers, if they love their children, discipline them. Discipline properly carried out is an act of love for the good of the individual. Number two, sin must be dealt with to protect holiness within the body. Sin, if left unchecked, is like a cancer that can destroy the whole body if not dealt with. So these are really two, two, uh, it is corrective, and there's a concern for holiness in the body. can't just carry on this way, or it can destroy uh, what the body's all about. See, I think I got one more slide here. God, as a responsible Heavenly Father, disciplines all those who are truly His children, Hebrews 12. One can run from the church, but one can never outrun God the Father. When God directly intervenes, the consequences can be deadly in what the Bible calls a sin unto death. In a very real sense, the the process of church discipline is grace, God giving space for the person to repent before He directly intervenes in a more severe manner. I think it gets very... Scary when the Lord is directly dealing with the person instead of through the mediating agency of the church. And uh, that can mean death. It did for many of the Corinthians, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice he says, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting how he says this. You know, uh, you know this experience, right? As a, as a little person, when they used your full name, you were in trouble, right? Dwight Joseph Oswald. I don't go by Joseph, normally. (laughs) It's interesting, though. Paul doesn't uh, do that here, right? Paul uses what we call the full name of the Lord. Now, the Lord has many other names, too. But commonly, you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ as as his full name. Uh, We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are saved. And so, this name for us as believers uh, carries authority. Uh, Lord starts out with Lord. Lord means master, the one with authority. Uh, we recognize him as Lord. Jesus means Savior, God's Savior. Christ means literally anointed one, the idea of the, the chosen one, the special one who fulfills uh, the prophecies. Uh, so in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that carries authority for us as believers. Hebert uh, says, uh, the full confessional title lends dignity to his person, recalling all that believers acknowledge him to be. The Thessalonians themselves must carry out the disciplinary responsibility as those who acknowledge his lordship. I think uh, that is the emphasis here. Uh, Bring it right back to this is who he is to us as as believers. And then uh, he says this. That you withdraw yourself, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, not according to the tradition which he received from us. You know, this is a really hard thing to do, um, to withdraw uh, yourself from, from a brother. Uh, that is, is great theory, but it's not so easy always to do. Um, 
And uh, you know, it almost seems contrary to love, doesn't it? Not having anything to do with this person over here. I'm withdrawing from that person. Almost seems like that's not what we Christians do. And, and it's not what we normally would do, right? You don't say, you know, I'm just withdrawing from these four people over here today, and next week I'll be somebody. No, we don't do that. Uh, we're encouraging the right hand of fellowship. Yay, the holy kiss. Handshake. <laughs> uh, you know, this withdrawing from everybody, this is kind of radical stuff. Uh, this, is, this is tough love, really. And, uh, but it's gotten to a point, you know, he warned them in person. He warned them in the first letter. And now things are still not, they're still not responding. So he's taking some pretty uh, serious action here as far as emphasizing uh, withdrawing. To withdraw means to avoid, to shun, to break fellowship. Uh, to break fellowship. Uh, we're not having them over. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Still a brother, uh, withdraw from every brother. You know, we're still recognizing these are believers. Uh, this is family accountability. Uh, this, and, and again, it's tough love. In fact, I would dare say, some people would say, if you were to dare to do something like this, you're probably uh, hateful. Uh, it's awful easy to be misunderstood, misrepresented. And, of course, we don't want to be hateful. Uh, I mean, we better be very careful in terms of how we're doing this and, and our motivation and what we're doing. Uh, but uh, it had reached this point where he calls for this. Notice uh, every brother who walks uh, disorderly. Walks is a lifestyle pattern. This isn't just like, well, hey, there's a little something. No, this is a, a definite pattern here that needs to be addressed. Disorderly literally means to be out of rank, to be out of line. Uh, the idea to be out of order, sometimes translated unruly. And so uh, it's to be undisciplined. Uh, to be irresponsible, to be misbehaving. And notice, uh, uh, which is contrary to the tradition which he received from us. Uh, it's not according to the tradition. Uh, tradition literally means that which is handed down. And uh, so it's the idea of uh, that which has been handed down from God through the apostles, the apostolic teaching, the apostolic directives, uh, been handed down uh, from God through the, through the apostles. So they're out of order concerning the word of God that's been handed down through the apostles. And he makes it very clear, which he received from us. Uh, Paul is very humble, uh, apostolic team, but uh, really it's pretty clear that he was the, the leading figure here. Uh, for example, back in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that when I, I was still with you, I told you these things? Uh, who, who's really the principal teacher here? Well, it was Paul. Uh, you know, even though he says us, it's pretty clear that Paul's really the, the apostle uh, in the picture that really uh, carries the weight here. Even at the end of the book, in chapter three seventeen, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is the sign, uh, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. So uh, clearly, uh, Paul is the, the one that's really behind this. The apostles were very special people. They were personally commissioned by Jesus Christ as his authoritative representatives. Uh, when the apostles uh, gave forth the word of the Lord, it was uh, the inspired word of God as much uh, the word of God as any other portion of the scripture. And so uh, very serious uh, to walk in an unruly way, in a way that's out of order concerning the word of God that's been handed down through the apostles. As believers, we have acknowledged... Did I uh, redo this one? I guess not. Uh, okay. 
As believers, we have acknowledged the Lord Jesus uh, for who he is as our Savior and Lord, and we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we are saved. As believers, we are to now live our lives according to his word. He is the authority in our lives, and we are accountable to this reality. Okay. Um, very good. Any other thoughts here before we go on to a verse? Yeah, Vince? Yeah. So I, I want to use this as an illustration. Sure. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. Right. Well, that's good. Yep. That's right. That's exactly what he's saying, too. <clears throat> don't, don't, be out of, don't be out of line here. Don't, don't be out of rank. Uh, that's exactly right. That's a great illustration. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Uh, anyone else? Okay, let's have somebody read verses uh, 7 through 9. That kind of goes together as a sentence. Yes, Jeff. Okay, so very good. Um, he says, uh, you yourselves know how, uh, how you ought to follow us. They knew, uh, they had been taught, uh, even though Paul was there a short time, they, they knew, he says, you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. That had been emphasized to them. Uh, they were the example. Uh, they took the gospel there and they set the example. They were, they were the model. Uh, they modeled uh, what Christianity should look like uh, to these young Christians. And he says, we were not disorderly among you. We were not out of line. You know, we didn't preach one thing and practice another is what he's saying, right? We were consistent. We uh, practiced what we preached. And that's uh, what, what uh, those that are not disorderly do. They, they live it. And he says then, he's zeroing in on something in, uh, in particular here, though. He's not talking about immorality at this juncture. He's not talking about, you know, whatever, pilfering. <laughs> He's talking about, um, you know, being lazy and not being willing to work and being a freeloader. Uh, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Um, now, he's not saying we never had a meal. Right? He's not saying, well, we wouldn't eat at anybody's house. He's not saying that. Uh, that's not, not, the, not the point here. He's saying as a way of life, we, we earned our own way. We earned our own living. We weren't expecting you to, to support us uh, as we were there. Uh, we were not freeloaders uh, taking advantage. Uh, we did not eat any, anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day. These are intensive terms. Uh, the idea of... of uh, working to the point of exhaustion. Um, you know, by the way, the Bible never said it would be easy. Uh, never said it would be easy. Uh, but, uh, and we don't have any promise of health, wealth, and great prosperity. God has promised to meet our needs as we seek his kingdom first. But uh, they, this was hard. So you sure you want to be on the apostolic team? You feel like working? <laughs> it wasn't always easy. Second uh, or First Thessalonians two nine, 
same emphasis there. You remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel. I mean, this is an emphasis in both of, of these epistles here. Uh, they set the tone here. They were hard workers. And then he says uh, that we might not be a burden to any of you. He, he's uh, repeating here what he's already said uh, in the first epistle. The goal was not to be a burden to them, uh, to pay their own way. And then he says this caveat, not because we do not have authority. Uh, you know, uh, the idea of authority here is the right. Uh, we had really the right to expect to be supported. And so he says, uh, not because we do not have the right, uh, but, but we waive that right, is what he is saying. Uh, Hebert's got a very good balanced statement at this point. Uh, he says, uh, Paul was sensitive about his right, uh, moral power or authority to receive support from his missionary labors and insisted that the fact must not be forgotten. He is anxious that his own example shall not be used to deny that, that right to other workers. Uh, they must not make his practice into a rule for other ministers in the future. But Paul was equally insistent upon the fact that he had voluntarily waived this right. Well, that's a pretty good balanced statement. You say, you know, I think this is how everybody, everybody should be a tent maker like Paul. Well, he was a kind of a uniquely gifted individual. Here's really what I think is the norm as Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And that's, uh, I think, consistent with what we see elsewhere also in the New Testament. So notice uh, he says here, uh, not because we do not have the right or the authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. So again, huge on this example. We, we set the example of hard work, of earning our own way. And there might be situations where you can't do that. Maybe you're physically disabled. Maybe, you know, whatever the case might be. But uh, normally, uh, if you are an able-bodied person, uh, the expectation is that you're going to pull your own weight here. And uh, that's what he's emphasizing here that they set the example for. Uh, John Phillips says, a love, compassion, and a helping hand should indeed be extended to the poor, the disabled, the aged, uh, and the infirm, but not to the able-bodied person who feels that society owes him a living. <clears throat> there, there you go. Uh, that, that's, that's the whole emphasis uh, right here. I think that's a... No, I really don't think he is. <laughs> You're right. I agree with that. <laughs> In the New Testament, uh, welfare was provided through the church for those who were genuine widows uh, with no other source of help. Beyond that, social welfare was the responsibility of the family. Now, 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith is worse than an infidel, uh, worse than an unbeliever. So, um, you know, uh, the early church did kind of have a welfare, welfare program, right? It's called the family. It's called the family. And the church was to be there for those widows who were desolate, who had no other means of support. Now, if they did have, if they had family who could take care, the family is expected to do it. So the church was kind of a last resort in terms of uh, taking care of them in that sense. Uh, this is a quote from Marvin Olasky. Uh, two slides to get it in here. But uh, early on, Israel, Rome showed contrasting patterns of welfare. The biblical model emphasized gleaning, 
with direct alms going only to widows who had demonstrated good character and to others who were truly helpless, pagan Rome's idea of welfare highlighted bread and circuses, which meant giving the poor enough food to keep them in misery, along with gladiator contests to distract them from their plight. And then he says, early Christians emphasized real change rather than governmental spare change. Uh, they believed in turning away from both idols and idleness. The able-bodied were to work. Some Christian communities established a three-day rule, which meant that strangers received food and lodging for three days. After that, they had to go to work or at least show evidence of responsible behavior. If they sat around, aid was terminated. <laughs> three-day rule, okay? Three days. You got three days to get yourself out there and find something to do here. Uh, well... Paul's making this emphasis very strongly. Uh, Even though we had the right uh, to expect you to support us, we set an example of hard work and that you should follow that model. All right. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Andrew. In the context of this passage, going back to verse 6. Yep. Um, what do you mean? Well, like, so in verse 6, he's talking about um, mm-hmm. keep away from brothers who lead an unruly life. Mm-hmm. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in undisciplined manner. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on and continuing that thought with we didn't keep bread from you, we were working, right. we were setting an example. Mm-hmm. So the, when I look at this, the, the flow of the thought stemming from verse 6 Oh, it does. It, it is really that. I'm making application as far as church discipline, uh, which, you know, you do withdraw fellowship. No, no. Here, the issue is laziness and you know, busybodies. It's going to get into busybodies right now where we're going. So, yeah, he is clearly dealing, which is a sin issue. I mean, if you're disobeying the commands of the Lord, I mean, that's sin, right? So... Yeah, but the specific issue is, yeah, laziness and busy, being busybodies. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, should have been a little more clear there. Yeah. And it seems to be just in our culture, right? We wouldn't think of that as being a sin issue. Right, <clears throat> exactly. And, and certainly not one where you would go so far as to say, well, we're not having fellowship with that person. You know, uh, maybe they need a little tender, extra little tender care, right? How about a swift kick in the pants, a, a Pauline kick in the pants? How about that? Uh, you know, this, this isn't so, so gentle and like I'm so concerned about you. Uh, not that he doesn't care. I mean, Paul's a very caring person. These people are being irresponsible, and he's calling them to task on that. So, all right, yes. Well, even in verse 15, yeah. we'll get to, like, yep. they're not our enemies. Right. They're our brothers. Right. You treat them as such. <laughs> And I think that's why the discipline's in place. You know, we don't discipline outsiders, right? But there's a family accountability, and that's what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Albert? Oh, yeah. 
Well, and it's gotten to that. You're right. Uh, I see him commanding him when he was there in person. Uh, He's even commanding him in the first letter, but he's gotten stronger. Three times in our text here tonight, command, command, command. I mean, to the point where withdraw if they don't listen to the command. So yeah, it has gotten more severe as he's gone along. I don't think Paul liked to command people, honestly. When I look at the whole tenor of Paul, he likes to encourage. He's exhorting. Uh, he, he wants to, you know, work. But sometimes you've got to be a little strong. And he's there with these people at this point, with the disorderly. They haven't been responding. So what are you going to do? Uh, well, they just get their way? Nope. He's not, he's not going there. Not having it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Carnal issues. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, that is a great point because that needs to always be the motivating factor. Not like I'm trying to, you know, make you, punish you or something. It's corrective, right? It's corrective. And, and you really hope, yeah, it's good to examine our own motives. Is it really out of concern for their best, for their highest good, which is what love is always about? Yeah. So, yeah, it's good to always check our, our motives. What is our attitude here? Yeah. Yes, Kurt. Yep. Exactly. Right. Right. Well, amen. And that's a huge emphasis through here. You know, we, we illustrated it. We modeled it. Yeah, follow us. You know, uh, there's, there's no reason for living this way. Uh, we commanded you and we modeled it. They did both in terms of word and life. So, yeah, yeah, good point. Amen. All right. Uh, let's have somebody read for us uh, verses 10 through 12 to finish out here. Who wants to read that? Yes, Sandra. Okay, thank you. So, uh, again, he's really beating this drum pretty loud here at this point. Uh, Even when we were with you. So he says, when we were there in person, we emphasize this. This is not a new emphasis with Paul, with these people. Uh, He had taught them this in person, 
reinforced it in his first letter, and now really bringing it home strong in his second epistle here. Uh, But he says, even when we were with you, we commanded you this. Again, not a suggestion. This is kind of a maxim, a a principle that they should live by. Uh, Not to have an entitlement uh, mentality, uh, but uh, if any would not work, neither should he eat. How about that? (laughs) If you won't work, you're not going to eat. Working and eating go together in Paul's theology here. And so, so he's emphasizing this. You know, God ordained work, right? Can I get an amen out of that? <laughs> you know, it's fun to sit around. You know, when uh, COVID hit, right? We all had to sit down, right? Couldn't even come to church for a little bit there. It was great for the first week. <laughs> After that, I was done with COVID. It's like, this is crazy. I don't, I don't want to be off here indefinitely here. In fact, I said, you know, can they really tell us we can't get together for worship? You know, you get into all those kind of things. But uh, if any would not work now, they should. God has ordained work. You know, that was true even before the fall, right? Yes, it was. Uh, Genesis 2.15, then the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work. To tend it and keep it. You know what the difference between uh, the pre-fall and after the fall was, right? Before the fall, it was no sweat. <laughs> well, I, there might have been some. I mean, I, I'm not saying they, but it was different. It was because of the sweat of the, the sweat of the brow was part of the, the curse. Uh, well, the ground was cursed, so it caused the man uh, to sweat. What about in eternity? Uh, let's uh, go to eternity here. I mean, just by way of scripture here. Revelation 22, 3. There shall be no more curse. This is the eternal state. Revelation 22, last chapter of the Bible. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God, the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. You know, we're going to be working for all eternity. You're going to have a job to do. I'm going to have a job. We're going to serve him. I don't know what we're going to be doing. What's going to be need to be, need to be done there? I don't know. <laughs> Are they going to get dirty? <laughs> Take out the trash. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's going to be a whole different... We're going to have something to do, though. That's my point. Uh, so, okay. Before the fall, they were working. In eternity, we are working. What about in between here? I, I think we should probably continue working. Uh, God's got work for us to do. If anyone not work, neither shall he eat. You know, our calling as Christians involves having a good work ethic. Uh, You can be a good testimony simply by having a good work ethic. Uh, You know, we maybe could call our our bosses forward. Uh, I guess for me, it's the elders, (laughs) fellow elders. Uh, And how how we doing? Uh, What what do they think about our work ethic? Uh, Hopefully they they can see that uh, and it's it's a good thing. Uh, everything we do, we should do as unto the Lord. God has sovereignly placed us where we are. I often think about what the New Testament says to slaves. Uh, here, bond slaves, New King James, but really, literally, doulos, slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. This is your motivation. You're doing it as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. Well, these are slaves who have... Uh, uh, masters, according to the flesh, but do it heartily as to the Lord. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. 
And no matter what we're doing, no matter our station in life, we can do it as unto the Lord. And uh, that's what Paul is emphasizing with them there. Uh, by the way, uh, when can you stop working? It, when you die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there, uh, you rest from your labors. Ultimately, you will continue to serve. But, uh, you know, is there a retirement in the Bible? I, I was going to I was going to go there. I was going to say if you got one example in the Bible it's it's the it's the priests in the Old Testament, right? And when did they retire? 50. Hey, let's be priests. We are all priests, right? The priesthood of all believers. When you're 50 you can retire. <laughs> we found it in the Bible. <laughs> Too bad it's in the Old Testament. <laughs> You know, I think those priests worked awfully hard. You know, they did not have an easy job. I mean, killing all those animals and all that we had, those guys were working like crazy. I mean, I think they were old before their time. Uh, They got to be 50. I think they were probably pretty worn out, actually. Uh, But anyway, uh, you know, in some form or another, uh, we serve until we die. Uh, I I think if you say, well, you know, I'm retired. I'm going to sit in my rocker. Well, you probably are not going to sit there very long. You're going to die. I mean, God designed us to function, to, to be active, to, doing, to be doing something. That's the principle here. And so, <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know, praise the Lord. Uh, there, there's a place for, you know, uh, sometimes you can't do what you used to do, right? You do get older. You can't, you can't do certain things. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm not. My point is, uh, if any would not work, neither should he eat. Uh, we want to be active uh, as we can, serving the Lord, doing what we can, uh, for sure. Um, yeah. At some point, I may retire. Uh, you know, uh, actually, I probably will retire when I can't do what I'm called to do. Uh, I mean, I think if God's given you a calling, you should probably continue to fulfill that as long as you're able. If you're not able, that changes everything. But anyway, uh, yeah, I agree, Vince. You know, it's not, uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying we're all in sin if we're retired. Yeah, he's defending himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe we should put it in the terms of, uh, is there a time to just be idle and lazy and do nothing? You know, because, you know, lots of times, you know, people kind of say, well, retirement's not for me. You know, it's all about self and just idleness. Well, that's a wrong perspective. That's where I'm coming from. But anyway, yeah. All right, uh, let's uh, continue here. Uh, Verse 11, notice what he says. Uh, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. So notice this here. We hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. You know, uh, not all uh, communication is sinful, right? That's kind of a general statement. But, uh, uh, you know, there's there's a place for for talking. Uh, You know, Paul heard about this. You say, well, was Paul involved in gossip here? Were they gossiping here? Uh, No, I don't know that I'd I'd go there. 
I think uh, maybe it's even important to properly define gossip sometimes. Um, You know, I think it kind of relates to the intent. Uh, Am I trying to put that person down? Am I trying to harm them? What are we doing? Uh, (laughs) People sometimes, um, I I know of a situation where uh, I've got a pastor friend and uh, somebody's in sin in the church and he confronted them. They said, well, it's none of your business. Well, he kind of said, well, it does, it's kind of is my business here. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm hearing these things and things are going on here. Uh, what, what's happening here? Uh, you know, you got to kind of weigh everything. Not, not all talk is uh, wrong. And uh, we see this even in Paul's ministry. Um, let's see here. I guess maybe I left out a slide here. I don't know. We'll see what this one says, huh? Uh, lazy people are not to be catered to, pun intended. Sometimes soft-headed people go by emotions instead of principle. They feel sorry for lazy people, help them out, and in so doing, they don't really help them at all. Uh, but that's not really the slide I was looking for. Here's what I'm looking for. First uh, Corinthians 1.11, It has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household. So he tells his source, right? <laughs> I'm hearing about this. Uh, that there are contentions among you. I've heard about this. Chloe's house has been telling on you. They're gossiping, right? You accuse them of gossiping? I don't know that I would. Some might. Uh, they were saying, here's what's going on. First uh, Corinthians 11, 8, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear, I hear this, that there are divisions among you. And in part, I, I believe it. Notice he says, I'm not buying everything I'm hearing. But I hear about these divisions, I hear about these things. People, people are talking. Well, is that, all, is that wrong that he was even listening to this? Uh, notice uh, even here, uh, he says, for we hear. We hear this. I've heard this. And it must have been credible because he's confronting them over this. Note, uh, Paul didn't believe everything he heard, but there was talk and he did believe some of it. Uh, back to the Corinthians. Here again in 2 Thessalonians, he mentions what he has heard. Uh, There is malicious gossip, and then there's communication of what is happening. Uh, Not all talk about people is sinful. Sometimes it is just a matter of communicating what's going on. And uh, I think that's what we had here. So it is good to be a little bit discerning. uh, What what is the intent? What is is the the motive as far as what's going on there? Okay. Notice he says, we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. Again, contrary to apostolic teaching, uh, what's been handed down. Not working at all. So these people are just flat lazy. Uh, They're not wanting to work at all. And there's kind of a play on words here. Um, In the Greek language, there's a play on words here uh, with a sense being, they are not busy, but busy bodies. It's interesting that if people are not productively busy, they tend to be busy in negative ways. People need to be doing something. And if they're not busy doing what is right and proper, they will be busy doing what is wrong and improper. It is so true that idleness is the devil's workshop. I think that's a pretty true maxim generally. Uh, Not working at all, but are busybodies. What are busybodies? Do not point at anybody. But uh, what are busybodies? Are they bodies that are busy? Yeah. <laughs> what are 
Yeah, and I think they're meddlesome. They're meddlesome people who are always in other people's business. That's a busybody. And uh, th- that's a problem. They're sticking their nose in other people's business. And some people just kind of like to want to know everything that's going on with everybody. And it's like, uh, mm, uh, maybe that's a problem. It can easily become a problem. Prayer. I just want to pray, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Uh, they might call it that, though, right? Uh, you know how Paul talks about uh, he wants the younger ones to, because they go from house to house. And they're, and they're busybodies. And, you know, the, so anyway, they might call it visitation. Who knows what sinfulness might say. But, um, here in uh, 1 Timothy, besides they learn to be idle, this is what we're talking about, wandering from house to house. Not only idle, but gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. So here's a clear case of saying things which they ought not. Uh, this, is, this is gossip. Gossip and busybody goes together. And uh, then here again in 1 Peter uh, 4.15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, which is interesting. He's writing to believers, which means to tell me that, you know, it might be possible to murder somebody, even as a believer, right? I mean, he says, don't, don't let any of you uh, uh, suffer as a murderer, uh, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. The thing about busybodies is that they often come off in a pious way, claiming to want to help or show concern, but in reality, they're just meddlesome. A good principle to live by is that if it's none of your business, just stay out of it. Uh, There are always those who think they have to get in the middle of everything, and they cause trouble. Well, they defend themselves to high heaven, but in reality, they're just busybodies. It's good to note that Peter lists busybodies in the same listing of murderers and thieves. That's not very good company, right? Not very good company. Say, so, well, I, I would never kill anybody about being a busybody. Same, same, uh, same sentence there. Not the exact same thing, but the same sentence. Okay, um, I think I got one more here. Uh, people that are properly working and keeping busy in productive ways generally don't have time to be meddlesome. Often it is those with too much time on their hands that end up being busybodies. So a good antidote for the sin of being a busybody is to stay busy working. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good emphasis there. Notice he uh, finishes out here saying, Now those who are such we command. He addressed the church in verse 6, and now he's directly addressing these disorderly people. Those who are such we command. This is the third time, verse 6, verse 10, and now verse 12, that he has commanded. We command and exhort. Exhort means to encourage, to strongly encourage. So there's a there's a... A little touch of grace here yet. We command and exhort uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that that name with full authority uh, for true believers. uh, That they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Stay out of trouble. Uh, Work in quietness. Mind your own business. Don't make a nuisance of yourself. uh, And eat their own bread. Uh, Again, uh, you know, pull your own weight here. And don't be uh, uh, meddlesome. Don't be lazy. MacArthur says, uh, The church's relative silence about work actually indicates a larger point of confusion for many believers. They see their work and church lives as divided and compartmentalized. Let me encourage you that there's no division between sacred and secular in the lives of believers. Knowing that 
knowing and loving the Lord sanctifies even the mundane aspects of our lives and brings an eternal purpose to bear on everything we do. So no matter what our day-to-day jobs are, we're all called to live lives of full-time ministry. I like that. You know, because people say, well, you know, full-time ministry. That's what, I'm in full-time ministry. Well, no, we're all in full-time ministry, uh, right? No matter what we're doing, uh, it, it is sacred. And working to make a living is spiritual service uh, as you do it unto the Lord. Uh, our testimony, I think one of the most important things about our testimony is how we handle ourselves in our, in our work about life uh, as we're going through the, the routine, the mundane things of life. It all counts as service to the Lord as we do it as unto the Lord. We want to be faithful, faithful in all aspects of our life, including this area. Okay, uh, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Okay, very good. Let's go ahead and share some prayer requests.